This is After Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. You can definitely put test both teams. You can test the officials and everybody. Can you test 100,000 fans coming into a stadium? Probably not. You know, that's probably not uh, without a without a vaccine. You probably couldn't do that. So, yeah, to answer your question, heck yeah, I'd be, be comfortable uh, coaching a game without any fans. Um, you know, if, it, if the choice were play or uh, in front of no fans or not play, then I would I would choose uh, play in front of no fans. And I think most of the, most of the partner every guy I've talked to on our team, that's the way they feel about it. Yeah, I don't. I'm not surprised by that. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan coach, talking about no fans or fan. I mean, you really think anybody's going to say, "Yeah, we don't want to play football. We can't do it without the fans." I, mean, I think fans get it what, now. Nobody's sitting here saying we we think fan sports are better without fans. Would there be a concern with players that if they did say that, they would be they would get in trouble, or if they're a starter, maybe lose that starting position? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't know. No. Okay. Because it's still about winning. <laughs> but, Can you uh, imagine Trevor Lawrence saying something all of a sudden? Hey, well, sorry, man. You ran fine. Yeah, yeah, I know. They all do. I, I had this uh, interview with Jamari Peacock. I, I referenced it yesterday, too, in, in some other way. But I asked him about playing defense. He said, you know what? When you're out there, now he plays in Virginia, so it's not like he's running out of a tunnel in Tuscaloosa. But he said their mentality ever since they've been there, kind of the way they were coached up was, you know, kind of get in your zone and, and don't worry about everything else around you and you just go play, you know, mm-hmm. get yourself ready to play. And a lot of that was because when he first got there, they were really not good. And so they didn't even have a lot of fans. It wasn't a ton of energy in the building, but I would think most, I understand the feeding off the fans stuff. I understand how it would sense. It would be different for players regardless. I mean, it's gotta be different for Kevin Harvick when he won the race Sunday and, and got out and nobody was cheering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think there is that zone you get into as a player, and you're like you might hear and, and even get motivated by some things. But 99 percent of the time, you if there are fans or not, you're probably going to still play the way you were going to play, don't you think? No, without a doubt. I mean, you do miss a little of that energy sometimes, yeah. especially from the home I crowd. Get it. I and, get it. And yeah, there, there is an advantage, obviously, if you play like in places like Alabama, um, you know, or these story stadiums where the home crowd is an advantage. You know, the twelfth man, if you will. But overall, like if you're a football player and you walk out there, will it feel you feel weird? Absolutely. But keep in mind, these guys practice, they scrimmage, and they do walkthroughs without any crowd. So to say, oh, it's going to be completely different. The players are going to be, you know, out of their element. Mm, I beg to differ because they're used to practicing like that. So why won't they play like that? Yeah. Again, listen. If you've been to the swamp, if you've been to anywhere, if you've been to University of North Florida in a basketball game and a home game late in the game. I mean, the home fans help. Yeah. You know, obviously in the end zones in football stadiums here at TIAA. Mm-hmm. TIAA. Uh, the the fans help. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. Uh, I get it. And, and it makes it tougher for the other team. So there is an impact. But I do think, I don't think we're going to see this major drop off in play. No. Now, it will feel, it's more of a feel thing. A feel and how it looks, and we've talked about it with basketball especially, because of the squeaking shoes, we think that's the one that might be the impacted the most, yeah. even more so than football. Mm-hmm. Um, from a viewing standpoint, I think we'll find out if, if that's the case. Well, let me ask you this. If there's not going to be stands in college football, and we'll say the NFL as well, does that give a distinct advantage to the offense then? Because now all of a sudden, I mean, you, you can check out of anything. You're not worried about the crowd volume. You can hear the snap count. Like, to me... I think the offense has the advantage now. Yeah, like I, more than usual. I would say, uh, yeah, 
I would say to a degree. I, I think that's why if you ever watched Peyton Manning, and now even if you did Andrew Luck, uh, watch Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, but it was Peyton Manning that got them to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are completely silent on offense. Like you can seriously talk to somebody across the other side of the field mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Like you could shout to them and hear them. It's yeah. amazing how quiet the place gets. It also can get very loud when they're on defense. But I would think they did that for. Those reasons to have but, a little bit of an advantage for them on offense. So see, but both what, teams will have the advantage no, of but, that. Like what I'm trying to say though is like say Clemson for instance, very high powered, great offense. Say they go to Virginia Tech. Usually Virginia Tech pretty loud place to play, especially at night. Yeah, yeah. When all of a sudden you take the fans out of it, well that's a distinct advantage for obviously Clemson, who already has the high powered offense. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. already has the advantage. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so and you're trying to mitigate that with the exactly, home exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, absolutely, no mm-hmm. doubt. It's, it's, now it's a, it's truly a neutral. Setting. Exactly. It doesn't matter where it's being played. Every game, if there are no fans, is a neutral setting. Well, set aside from the heat, Brent, but you, you know how I feel about that compared to you, though. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it, college is trying to make this happen so much, and they have a chance to have more st- fans in the stands because of the percentages. Uh, Gene Smith, as coach referenced, Matthew Driscoll referenced, Ohio State, they have 100,000 seats. Mm-hmm. So if they go 20%, it's still 20,000 people. Uh, and they think if they loosen the rules a little bit, relax the rules a little bit, they could get up to forty or 50,000. That's what Coach was referring to. Even that's going to be weird. If you have 20,000 in a 100,000-seat place, doesn't feel right. Now, if you have the Jacksonville Iceman, and I think Bob Arabo has talked to us about this before, and they play games and they can't have full capacity, but they could open up the top level. Mm-hmm. They usually have about 9,000 in there, I think it is, 10,000. But if you open it up, you could have 14, 15,000 in all the way up to the, the top deck. Well, now you spread them out throughout. You might still have your seven or 8,000, depending on where the rules are True. at the time when hockey plays. So it, it's every place will feel different um, and, and look different based on that. But I, I just don't see 15,000 fans here at the bank mm-hmm. making a big difference in terms of the home field or not. I don't think. You know, 60,000, you can make a difference. 15,000, I don't think so. There's only so much noise you can make, right? Like, there's only so much you can do. So, will it be that, like, that deciding factor? No. I mean, are we going to see offsides and false starts because of it? Probably not. So, I, I agree with you there. All right. Uh, I want to talk about the 2013 Florida State football team for a moment because tomorrow on ESPN 690, you can hear the national championship game from that year. It actually was played in 2014. We had that fun discussion last week. But uh, it will be right after our show at 6 o'clock. Uh, of course, Florida State wins the national championship, go undefeated at 14-0, and Jimbo Fisher, Jameis Winston. How about some of the guys on this football team? Hit me with How let's good go. were they? What do we got? Jameis Winston obviously leading the way. Devonta Freeman, Mm -hmm. James Wilder Jr., underrated too, uh, I think at times, as being part of that backfield. Uh, He ran for 563 yards that year. Rashad Green, pretty good player. Yeah. Kelvin Benjamin, Nick O'Leary, Cam Irving. Mm, let's go down the list a little bit more. I won't name Christian, is Christian Jones, is that the dude from uh, Chicago I played with? Cheese, we used to call him? It might be. I got to look him up real quick. I thought he was a Miami guy, but maybe not. Hang on, let me see what we got here. Christian Jones. We go a little deeper. Telvin Smith. Yeah, Christian Jones, Florida State. He was, dude, good, good player. Still playing in the league right now. Telvin, uh, of course. Ronald Darby. LaMarcus Joyner. Wow. Jalen Ramsey. Heard of him. 
Uh, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Get some more names in here. How about Mario Edwards, Eddie Goldman, Timmy Jernigan from Lake City, Columbia, Demarcus Walker with the Denver Broncos, who's just a freshman on that team. But uh, how about that team? Loaded up. Now, again, if you look at some of the great teams in college football, you go back forever probably, but even more recent, from Florida's teams of 06 and 08, to Clemson's national championship, Alabama's teams of 09, really every Alabama team, it seems like. Uh, LSU this past year. I mean, look, LSU got their entire offense on an NFL roster, mm-hmm. including their long snapper, too. So, <laughs> but that is a heck of a football team right there at Florida State. Yeah. And the NFL talent alone, what they have done in the NFL or did in the NFL, in like a Telvin Smith's case, you know, Pro Bowl guy. Did you, when you were watching them in 13, when you were watching Jameis Winston leave their national title, did you think like they were that good, maybe historically good? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm going to say this, right? Because during that season, if I'm not mistaken, the whole Jimbo, uh, the whole Jameis Winston crab legs thing came like to the season. Winston everything. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like thinking like, there's no way, I don't care how good Jameis Winston is number one. I don't care how good that leadership is on the team. There is no way they're going to survive this, you know, because like it was like allegation after allegation after allegation. You know, I'm just like there's there's way too much drama. There is way too much just media attention for all the wrong reasons on the Florida State Seminoles. There's no way they can, you know, go and win a championship. And so they did. And I think I even came from the school of thought where I was like, I wanted to see him lose. All right, like I didn't want to see, and then, like this is nothing against Jameis Winston. Um, it's nothing against you know any of those players, but I just like man, I feel like Jameis got one too many, um, you know, get out of jail free cards, if you will. I felt like Jimbo Fisher kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Like I didn't like the 2013 Florida State Seminole football That's team. That's interesting. And and I was cheering for Auburn, man. So like when I saw Jameis hoist the trophy and everything, and you know the the post-game, you know, talk and all that stuff on the field. Like, I was, I mean, I don't want to say I was super affected by it. Let's just say I was going for Auburn, though. Think how bad Florida State's offense has been the last couple of years under Willie Taggart and couldn't even line up and all the penalties and, and all of that stuff. In 2013, they won 41-13, to 62-7, to 54-6, 48-34. That was at Boston College. 63 to nothing. <laughs> they beat Clemson, if you remember, on that Saturday night when Clemson was third in the country, 51-14. to 14. That's right. 49-17, 41-14, 59-3, 59-3 again, 80-14. That was Idaho. <laughs> 37-7 over the Gators. Remember when? 45-7. to over Duke, who was 20th in the nation, and then they beat Auburn national ch- title game 34-31 in in, uh, in a thriller. Mm. They could score points. The national title game was the least amount of points they scored all year, and they won the whole thing yeah. by beating Auburn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was tremendous. Jimbo Fisher, Jameis Winston, obviously an unbelievable year. And uh, and really, I think the forgotten part about that, because they were so good on offense, was all the good defensive players they had. From Jalen Ramsey to Telvin Smith to Goldman to LaMarcus Joyner. I mean, they were loaded. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loaded. And then I bring up what I bring up all the time, it seems like, when we talk about these great teams. Then what? Mm-hmm. Look what's happened. Florida State, obviously, the next year they go to the Final Four and they get trounced by Oregon. Uh, you know, Jameis uh, didn't play well. They, they just got beat. Mm-hmm. But they, they had a nice little follow-up 
uh, in 14. And uh, I am right about that, right? Yeah, that was the final four. They went out to uh, Pasadena, mm-hmm. I believe, and, and lost. Yeah, they did to Oregon. They got thumped 59 to 20. But then after that, all the Jimbo smoke and then the Jimbo leaving and then and yeah. it, le- it leaves it a mess. And now Willie Taggart and here they are, Mike Norvell, and trying to get this thing back uh, it, back on uh, schedule. To me, the biggest thing, like at Florida, when Florida was going through those rough times, you were like, why can't they get a receiver? Mm-hmm. You're the University of Florida. You're in the swamp. You're in Florida, where all these talented athletes are. They got guys running four two fives, and you can't get a good receiver. Well, I think what Dan Mullen has done is they've been able to accumulate some pretty good receivers in the last couple of years to go along with some decent quarterback play. He's coached that into him as well. I think the bigger problem at Florida State, they went from having like they were three quarterbacks deep mm-hmm. to no quarterbacks. And Willie Taggart, of course, wasn't even signing quarterbacks. The best mm-hmm. thing Mike Norvell has done so far is at least sign a quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's that simple, really, when you look at it. And the other thing that was an eyesore was the offensive line. Somewhere along the way, they lost their offensive line and never was able to fill it up. And I think that's probably the undertold part of the story. It, what's crazy about if you want to compare them to Florida, when Florida was going through that really rough stretch in the early 2000, uh, 2010s with Muschamp and McIlwain, they actually had a ton of talent on offensive line. They just didn't look like they did. A ton yeah. of those guys are playing in the NFL. So it's it's in college football, where you could keep it rolling for a long time, just ask LSU and Alabama and even Clemson now, and Georgia's got it going, it still sticks out that you need something and you need offense. And whether that's the quarterbacks, which you always need, or the wide receivers and the weapons to be dynamic, mm. or, in Florida State's case, even the offensive line to be able to do something, I still think Cam Akers' career was about as wasted of a career as I've seen in college because I think he's going to be a special back even in the NFL. And behind that offensive line, they couldn't really do anything. When we sit here and talk about, if you will, the glory days of the Florida State Seminole football program and and winning the national championships and to where they are now, and we'll see what Norvell can do to try to turn that team around a little bit. But when we reflect on it, and listen, I I said, like, Jimbo Fisher, man, for whatever reason, and I've never interviewed the guy, never even talked to the guy. All I have to go off of Jimbo Fisher is what I've seen on TV and heard on the radio. But, like, for whatever reason, I just, that guy kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, he reminded me of, like, that uncle at, at, like, the family barbecue. Everyone's like, you better be careful. I don't want to get you any kind of trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just kind of had that preconceived notion to him. But when we sit back here and talk about the Florida State Seminoles now, it's like, well, when he was there, what happened? National championships, a successful program. So do you think where we are now, you know, and once again, we'll see what Norvell can bring to the table, but what Jimbo Fisher was able to do with the national championship till now, is it a testament to how great Jimbo Fisher really was as a coach, take the personality out of it, or is it a testament more to just how bad Willie Taggart did with that program? Well, I I don't think you can defend what Willie Taggart did with the program. He never got it going. The inability to line up for an offensive play when you're an offensive guy and nothing is going on offense and you don't sign a quarterback. It's just those are too many things that that become indefensible. I mean, Mm -hmm. you like to buy in. You kind of liked what did he get enough time, all that stuff? Was he changing the culture? Now, I do think this, and I think a lot of Florida State folks think this. Jimbo Fisher had one foot out, man. That last year, he, he... it looks like he left it a mess. Now, internally, how much did he leave it a mess? I'm sure that's debatable in Tallahassee and will always be. But it certainly looked like he was on his way out and didn't really leave it 
in a good shape, mm-hmm. whether it was from a cultural standpoint uh, inside those walls or, or even talent-wise. And Willie Taggart had to change it. He did a miserable job of trying to change it. it it's really tough to defend with Taggart. It feels like he seems like a great man. Uh, he's had some success in the coaching ranks. It just didn't work out mm. at Florida State. I, I think Norvell can change that around, but you have to do it. My old point with college football, and especially down here, Florida and Florida State, you better do it on offense. And that's what Florida did. They went and got Dan Mullen. Now, Will Muschamp wasn't an offensive guy. Jim McElwain said he could have his dog play quarterback and do well and didn't do anything well. And Mullen's able to come in and fix the offense a little bit. He got the offense going. You're always going to have pretty good defense down at Florida, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Well, he got the offense going. That's why they've been able to win games. They've been able to put up points. Norvell, what do you do at Memphis? Offense. Yep. And now he's going to be up to, he has to do it here uh, in Tallahassee for them to turn this thing around. And we'll see if he's able to do it. But I do think it's that offensive line, as much as it's the quarterback, that offensive well, we line is something they have healthy. to beef up. Yeah, you have to uh, the quarterback and, and they need some playmakers. I mean, they went from a, an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback spot with guys like Winston to nothing, yeah. to just empty cover. So uh, they, they have to get much better there. Saqib's on the line, Florida State guy. I didn't know you were a Florida State guy, Saqib. I am a huge Florida State. I went to uh, Charlotte when we played in the HC Championship game a couple of times. I was supposed to go to California when we played, the, but it was the tickets were just ridiculous. So I just couldn't afford that. But let me make this. Our offensive line has been trashed for a long time. We have had three first-round quarterbacks taken. Christian Ponder, first-round pick. Uh, to Minnesota, obviously Jameis, first overall pick to Tampa, and we have um, AJ Manuel, AJ Manuel to uh, Buffalo Bills, number 16th overall. We have had great running backs. Our offensive line has been trashed for the last seven to ten years, and I'm hoping the new coaching staff fixes this because we have some great talented guys coming out of Florida State who are getting drafted a lot over the last 10 years we just need to fix this coaching stuff and i think we'll be back on top i'm not a gator fan i don't like the gators okay but they haven't had a quarterback drafted in the first round in like what 10 10 years or so we have had some we just need an offensive line to fix this, and we'll be back on top. All right, Saki, appreciate it. And you mentioned some of the talent there as well. I mean, Dalvin Cook and, and now Cam Akers, uh, just to roll off a couple yeah. uh, in in some of those years. So he's yeah, right. He's an offensive line, but let's not bring Alex Hornbrook in for a backup robo either. He right? didn't like that from the get-go. What, what did I say about that one when he came in from Wisconsin? Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Uh, how about... Maybe Hornerbrook should have brought a couple of offensive linemen from Wisconsin. <laughs> there you go. Now we're talking exactly. Package deal. Yeah, and there then we it go. Would have been worth something. Yeah. I, I got this question for you. This one always is is interesting to me. I get the sense that Florida Gator fans hates a strong word, but they sure sure as heck don't like Urban Meyer. Like they had Steve Spurrier, where they absolutely love Steve Spurrier, right? Yeah. Mullen is, I think, on his way to being a little bit more like Spurrier. Now I have to win big. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But Meyer won him two national championships, mm-hmm. and because of the way it ended, because of the sick stuff and the family stuff, and then get showing up at Ohio State a year later and all that, yeah. which I get, I get some of the angst on that. Just it's like it's almost like it feels like it. It's not it is, but it feels like he didn't even exist. Yeah. In in Gainesville. He won two national titles. Jimbo Fisher, who took over for Bobby Bowden, and as I always say, taking over for a legend is like the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
Took him a couple years, but wins him a national championship. Gets him all these elite players. I mean, the quarterback position was humming there for a bit, and, and we just rattled off all the players that he recruited. And that was year after year, by the way. He was sending people into the NFL draft and, and still playing in the NFL. And now I kind of feel like Fisher is looked at like Urban is in Gainesville. Hmm. And I wonder, when are they going to someday say, that guy won us two national titles, mm. this guy won us a national title, and we can't wait to celebrate you someday? That's, it's so unusual. Brett, it's not how society works, though. Whether you're a football player and they always remember your last play, if you're a coach and they always remember how you went out, when you talk about Urban Meyer, when you talk about Jimbo Fisher, the way that they went out... um, didn't leave much to be desired, let's just say, if you're a fan base of you know, either one of those teams, right? So the last memory that those fans have is how they left. Now, yeah, the national championships are great, and those banners that go up, they're great. Those bragging rights, they mean everything. But from a fan's perspective, and I'm saying a majority here, I'm not talking about everybody, but from a majority, the last you know image that they have is it ending badly, them leaving, them really abandoning you know, their teams. And that can rub fans uh, the wrong way. And I know time heals all wounds, but it might take a lot of time for fans to come around with that one. I think they will. See, I think fans – here's what I'm getting. It's great when I ask this. Uh, Libra Life says, if they do, it should be a very bland celebration with a substantial <laughs> amount of social distancing. <laughs> it would be great to honor somebody like in the fall when you have 25% capacity. <laughs> it would be awesome. Uh, John Patrick says, the same weekend Urban gets his statue from UF, and that's my point. You know, it's – I don't know if this is a great example. But it's a, it reminds me a sense of like Tom Coughlin. Mm. Coughlin got fired from here. Now, Wayne Weaver said it, it was the worst mistake he made, but he, they got into a mess in Jacksonville when, when he first left and, you know, ends up going to win two Super Bowls in New York. Now he's fired again by Shad Khan and this one, at least the, maybe you'd call the embarrassment of the, the player association and what they said and the 25% grievances and all that. So it didn't end well. Two occasions. There's not a doubt in my mind that within five years, Tom Coughlin will go into this stadium. He'll go in the pride of the Jaguars, and it will be a standing ovation and a welcome back, and and we love you, Tom. Not a doubt in my mind. It will happen. I didn't say it's happening tomorrow. You said five years. Five years. Absolutely. Okay. You don't think so? No. Oh, yeah, I think so. But my point to that is I don't think Jimbo Fisher in five years. I don't think Urban Meyer in five years. I think it might take like 20 years for those guys to come back and be recognized. Let me predicate it by saying this. Five years, maybe, depending how the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing. If they're still struggling, if they're still having losing seasons, what are people going to think about? We lost Jalen Ramsey, the whole Talvin Smith ordeal, Yannick Ngakwe. Like, they're always, if you start having losing seasons, they're always going to tie it to man. Well, if we would have kept our star players, maybe we would be more successful. Tom Coughlin's a big part of that. So if you mean to tell me five years from now, he's standing in the stadium and Jaguars fans are like, hey, Tom, welcome back. No, man, people are still going to be ticked off because we're still losing. I disagree with you. I don't think that's the case. Sounds, sounds like a bet. Oh, absolutely. I'll make that bet I'm going to spread so much propaganda that happens in five <laughs> years where I'm going to be like, make sure you boo Tom Coughlin. I have a bet on the line. Very nice. Today, Jay Fund just raised half a million dollars I'm to kidding. fight local cancer. Uh, boo Tom Coughlin. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. the, but I, I, my point being, I sense that Tom Coughlin has been fired from here twice coming back. Mm. Will we celebrate? 
Now, he is the greatest coach in team history. Yeah. But just again, remember how he went out, won two championships. Just remember how he went out, though, man. People never forget. It's interesting. We'll be back. How, uh, how you leave the show is a big indicator of who you are as a person. Just saying. Tom Brady. Documentary. Ooh. Nine parts. Nine. Too many? Well, Lance has three. I, think. I got thoughts on Tom Brady next on ESPN 690. This supporting cast won seven games last year with a quarterback who threw 30 interceptions, totaling 112 points, gave the other team 112 points, still was one game away from a 500 record because they had a hell of a supporting cast, an underrated defense, and a really good offense. And since then, they've added to that offense before you even get to the quarterback in Gronkowski. When you look at how many good tight ends they had, how many receivers they have, like the Bucks are loaded. And when you look at what Tom Brady actually means. Is he giving people the feeling that in the moment of truth he can be clutch? Sure, he's giving you that feeling, but mostly what, what we're dealing with here is he's not going to hand the ball to the other team. Max Kellerman, and the discussion there was Brady uh, the biggest upgrade or the weapons around Brady the biggest upgrade for the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Let's stop the conversation. Tom Brady <laughs> is the quarterback of the Bucks. And yes, it's nice that he has more weapons than he had in New England. Mm-hmm. But let me repeat, Tom Brady is the quarterback of the Bucks. He's not Jameis Winston. He's not any quarterback that's ever Brad Johnson. He's not, not any of those guys. Mm-hmm. He is the quarterback of the Bucks. That is the separator. That is the reason why people are excited about the Bucks. If you if you kept Jameis Winston there, they would not be getting this much love. You wouldn't feel as good about it. Brady is the difference maker, man. I don't, whether they had Grock there or not. Uh, it's a great ad, but uh, no doubt that the answer to that is Brady. See, now I'm disagreeing here. Because, you're a Belichick guy, too. You think oh, he's going to win 15 I'm a games system without guy. Him, so. I'm a system guy through and through. Brett, what can I say? Listen, is Tom Brady going to be vital to the success of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going forward? Well, no, duh. But I think, listen, I can sit here and tell you right now. By the way, no, duh is on the list of, like, Hunky Dories. Uh-huh, hunky Dories. That, that, that I didn't a, expect to come no, out of Austin Lane's mouth. <laughs> Dude, every once in a while, man, I throw a surprise in there. But if you look at the quarterbacks around the league, you know, if you take like a Teddy Bridgewater, if you take, I don't know, I mean, give me another, like, you know, just give me kind of like another middle-of-the-road quarterback, a Kirk Cousins, Ryan uh, a, Ma- a Matthew Stafford, a Ryan Tannehill, and you put on the Buccaneers, guess what? I think they're going to be pretty damn good still. You know why? Because they have O.J. Howard, they have Cameron Brait, they have Mike Evans, they have Chris Godwin, they have all these pieces in place to be successful. If you try to tell me that Tom Brady is the reason why Tampa Bay is going to be good next year, or this up-and-coming season, well, I'm going to say, how did Tom Brady do last year with the offense that he had? Not that good. Went to the okay? playoffs and the Bucks didn't. Yeah, well, how did that defense do for New England, though, Brent? Pretty good. The, 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 I mean, let's be honest. The calling card last year the New England Patriots wasn't Tom Brady, okay? wasn't Julian Edelman. It was that defense. And you'd be crazy to say anything otherwise. So with that being said, yeah, I mean, is Tom Brady going to help him? Absolutely. Does he bring the work ethic and the experience and being the GOAT? Yeah, all those things count for something. But my point is that if you take any middle-of-the-road quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over, they're going to have success in Tampa Bay. Now, once again, I think New Orleans is going to win that division, and I've been very adamant about that. But I still think whether it's a Teddy Bridgewater, a Kurt Cousins, a Matthew Stafford, a Jimmy Garoppolo, I think they all go to Tampa Bay and have success. Great segue for Tom Brady. Documentary coming out 2021, nine episodes. You like that? You looking forward to it? Can you not wait? 
I mean, I'm going to watch it, right? It's, we're, we're talking about the GOAT right now, but it's like we talked about earlier on the show today. Is it a little bit too early, right? Because have we even seen the best Tom Brady yet? You know, like to me, the best Tom Brady is going to be if he can somehow will the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a Super Bowl. If, if he can somehow will and say, you know what, I didn't need Bill Belichick. I didn't need that culture. I can do it on my own. Like, to me, that's the story. And if you bring the documentary out in 2021, well, do we really get to see behind the scenes of that story? Not so much. So I, I would rather have the GOAT Tom Brady as a whole, the whole story. Not just three quarters of it, not just a couple chapters. Give me the whole thing to digest, not just a little bit. So I'm a little taken back by the fact that we probably won't see everything. We won't see the emotion in it. But obviously, it's a documentary. It's Tom Brady, so I'm going to watch it. By the way, this thing will be produced by ESPN 199 Productions, which is Brady's production company, <laughs> and uh, someone else. So it's going to have the footprint and yeah. impact of Jordan's. This is the new thing. It's like the Players' Tribune meets ESPN. Yeah. But you listen, from a viewing perspective, it's still pretty good TV. No, it's great. It, but it's okay. So what do we talk about right before The Last Dance aired? Michael Jordan came out and said, I'm going to feel really bad for the way I was portrayed. I'm going to come across like a jerk in some of these things. Did we ever mention one time Michael Jordan coming across as a bad person? I didn't. I don't know if you thought anything, but I didn't. Like, that's – he had his – and listen, maybe that was more marketing. Maybe that was trying to get the, the the viewers on it. But yeah, it, it is going to well, be. Morris the, Grant thinks so. <laughs> right, exactly. So I think, yeah, Tom Brady's obviously going to have his finger up around it. How genuine is it going to be? We'll see. But I'm still going to watch it, like I said. This is not going to be like that one, though. This is going to be more chronicling of the mm -hmm. Super Bowls and the ones they won and lost. And it's, it's really through Brady's eyes, very much so. Totally different. He ain't calling anybody out. I don't think people are calling him out. I don't think he's going to give you a lot of drama. Here's my thought on Brady, and this is what I, I teased a little bit at the early part of the show, and, and I felt like Brady all along was one of the great protectors of the Bill Belichick way and kind of the secrecy of the New England Patriots. Hmm. I, I felt like he was that guy that kind of stayed low-key, married to the supermodel, wanted to go home, be a dad, uh, wanted to get after it. You knew he was going to get after it. Fiery guy, competitive guy, all that stuff, but stayed out of the – more Derek Jeter when yeah. he played, right? Stay out of the, the press, give you what I have to give you, but I ain't giving you much more. Man, I've really changed my tune on that in the last year. Twitter. Twitter will make you do that, Brent. Well, he got on Twitter. Oh, that's what I'm saying. But – now, listen – in, in fairness, he also would push out those Facebook videos, you know, the hype videos before games for the last few years. Mm -hmm. He did do a radio show up in Boston, so he'd reveal a little bit here and there. I hope I described this well. But the laying low protector of the secrecy of the New England Patriots, the Belichick way, the whole thing where Belichick doesn't reveal anything, doesn't say anything other than next question, like yeah. where I thought he was kind of a part of that. I actually feel now like it's just the opposite. I feel like part of the reasons he wanted to get out is that he feels was almost like suppressed in that atmosphere. Hmm. Like he wants to be more of a personality. Look what he's done the last six or eight months. He, he, he embraced the whole courtship, hmm. he, the whole free agency thing. Him being a topic all the time, he would actually tweet about it. Mm -hmm. He would talk about it. He'd he'd kid about it. Even the Gronk stuff, where you know he'll share the airport thing that that one scene, right? Yeah. Um, 
he actually is welcoming the attention, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and showing personality. Again, this is not me knocking Brady. I'm just telling you, I read him wrong. I think he almost feels like, hey, I've got some of this in me. I've got a little Peyton Manning in me. I've got a little personality here. I just couldn't show it while I was in that place, well, man. It wasn't fun. Listen, I think he's showing the personality on the back nine of his career, and he's having fun with it. I think Tom Brady's having fun. Now, did Tom Brady always have fun in New England? Probably not. It's fun to win football games, but sometimes it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And maybe the journey you know, wasn't up to his expectations and, and his standards of what he deemed you know, to, to, to be around. But... To say Tom Brady left because he was suppressed, I I disagree with you. Because look at a guy like Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski, if anybody should have been suppressed, it was Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, that's the, 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 the guy that's <laughs> dancing in Bourbon Street uh, during Super Bowl weekend with his shirt off, the guy who's always at, on the victory parades, you know, double-fisting beers, pounding back brewskis, like... He was himself, okay? Now, once again, we haven't heard the Rob Gronkowski story. Was he actually truly happy in New England or not? And one day, hopefully that story comes out. But from what I gauge, like Rob Gronkowski was so beloved in New England because he could be himself. And then when you have a guy like Tom Brady, who has won all these Super Bowls, who has had so much success, yes, I get Bill Belichick's a huge part of that. But, dude, when you win that many Super Bowls, when you go to that many Super Bowls, you can do whatever you want, man. Okay, so to sit here and say Tom Brady was suppressed, Tom Brady couldn't be himself, I can't buy into that because he had every right to do whatever he wanted and no one was going to tell him differently. Like, I get Bill Belichick is kind of the iron fist. He is the dictator of that organization, but Tom Brady is a close second man. And to sit here and say, well, he was suppressed, I just, I, I can't believe it. Well, here's yeah. what it falls in line with to me. It, you know, the big separation from outside looking in for me on the Patriots and Brady. Mm -hmm. Twofold. One, the questioning of his trainer that he believes in and, and the Patriots decided not to believe in and wanted to get him out of there and away yeah, from yeah, him. Yeah. And the inability to give him a long-term contract and believe that he could play quarterback at this level until he's now 43 years old and maybe 44 and 45, like he said. While everybody else doubted him, his in his world, I believe he thought the Patriots were doubting him, too, because they just kept giving him one, two-year deals. Sure. And so I think that's why he got out of there. But. This show of personality falls in line with the timeline of some of those things in the last few years. I don't think he did the Facebook hype videos eight years ago. I think he started them maybe, it seems like, maybe three years ago or something like that, around those times when the feelings started to get a little bit yeah. separated, when they started to go. So I, I don't know. I'm just even this, even this, if you had told me or if I had told you mm -hmm. five years ago, that Tom Brady, even though he leaves the Patriots, is going to shoot, show, do a nine-part series yeah. on him, the player, while still in uniform for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I would have said you're crazy. I don't know what you would have told me. I would have said the exact same thing. But now he's not afraid to unveil this, to share so, this. That, that, yeah. is, that is not what he would have done in Foxborough five years ago. But here's what you have to ask, though, Brent. We're, when you're talking about Tom Brady, now, does he have respect for Bill Belichick? Obviously. Does he have respect for, um, you know, Robert Kraft? Obviously. But it makes you wonder, like you said, he never got those long-term deals. Okay? And what do, we, what, what do we always talk about with a football player? One of the biggest things is they want to feel wanted. They, 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 they want to feel appreciated and feel wanted. You know, we always talk about the, the feelings, especially the feelings of a quarterback. Well, one could assume probably that Tom Brady's feelings might have been hurt a little bit because he didn't get that long-term deal. Sometimes, and listen, 
Tom Brady doesn't need the money. It wasn't about the money. What do I always say, Brent? It's about what the money says. And what the money said was, yeah, we're going to offer you maybe a two-year deal, but we don't have that much faith in you. So when Tom Brady leaves New England, then what happens, Brent? He goes to Tampa Bay. He goes on Howard Stern. He's doing all these you know, social media things, and all of a sudden it's a new Tom Brady. Now all of a sudden we have a documentary coming out. To me, it reminds me of, like, say you're in high school. You probably can't relate to this because you married your college sweetheart. But, like, say you're in high school and you dump a girlfriend or maybe a girlfriend dumps you, right? So you get dumped and you feel cheated, you feel neglected, and you don't feel very good. You, you find a new girl, what's the first thing you do on Facebook? You post all the pictures you can, and you show off. And you're like, check me out now. I'm happy. I'm walking on sunshine. Hope you miss me, baby, because I ain't coming back. All that stuff, right? It's almost like a little jab to get back at the old girlfriend. Well, right now, in my opinion, no matter how many Super Bowls that they won, no matter the good times that they had, the New England Patriots right now are Tom Brady's ex-girlfriend. And these documentaries, these Howard Stern interviews, these behind-the-curtain things a little bit, this personality showing off, this is Tom Brady saying, you know what, I found a new girl, and forget you old one. Uh, Listen, I think you just said it brilliantly. Mm -hmm. I think you're exactly right. My point is, and this is where I misread Brady, is I thought he might even be above that. Gotcha, yeah. Like yeah. I, and and again, I'm not knocking you for doing it. I think it's kind of fun. I think it's cool to see the Human greatest of all sometimes. time right now. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, it's okay. Like he's, I'm actually liking Tom Brady more probably because not with the Patriots, but also <laughs> because he's showing us more. Yeah. You know, whether it was doing the Manning thing for the 100th season, now he's going to play golf mm-hmm. against Manning with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods this weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, he wouldn't have done it three, four years ago. Is it just appreciating that he's getting? up in age and he's still going to enjoy the ride or is it that he's away from Foxborough? He's away from Patriot Place. He's away from Bill Belichick. Well, you really weren't encouraged to do those things, even if you're Tom freaking Brady. Mm -hmm. Would he have done the Howard Stern interview if he was still on the roster of the New England Patriots? I don't think so. I think Tom Brady is a very passionate individual. Um, I think he's the ultimate competitor. And like I said, when he had a bad taste in his mouth and not getting a long-term deal um, and he goes to a new team, this is him just kind of retracting and saying, you know what, I appreciate you guys, but I don't have to be fans of you right now. And this is me being myself and this is me hyping up my brand, getting people talking about me in a new area, in a new destination that is Tampa Bay. All right, ready? Some odds for this weekend's golf uh, match. Uh, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady. Oh, nice, nice. Who's uh, that? Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, the favorite. They win? I like that. Yeah, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, for sure. Yeah, I got to believe they do, too. Uh, Let's go down to the Brady and Manning stuff. Who will record the most birdies, Manning or Brady? I'm going Manning. Manning's the favorite to do it, too. I don't know, man. Guys like Brady and Woods and and Jordan, they find ways to win. It doesn't matter if they're better than them or not. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I just feel like Peyton Manning is going to go in his audible mode and like make some calls with clubs or something like that, where it's like, ah, in the three one, no, let's go with the four iron and boom, hole in one. Like, he's that much of a cerebral assassin. Well, will any player record a hole in one? It's plus three thousand if you want to put some Ooh. money on yes. Mine is eight thousand if you want to lose your house. What's that win looking like right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many curse words will be bleeped? <laughs> Over under three and a half. I mean, Tiger oh, himself was- might have three and a half. Yeah, but, oh, you know, <laughs> it's a charity event. This is a good one. I like this one because let's think about it. Tiger Woods, very passionate, can swear and everything, but it's for charity. A lot of eyes on him. Phil Mickelson, kind of the same thing, a lot of eyes on him. It comes down to me, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Does Tom Brady swear a lot? You see him get hyped he on the sidelines. I think he does. So you going over? I'm going over. You're going over? Yeah. I'm going under. I yeah. know they are concerned about their image. Those guys yeah. are image guys. Yeah. 
I'm saying yeah, over. Okay, I'm going on. Let us in, man. Let us in. <laughs> Let us in. The... <laughs> will Jordan be said by any player? Jordan? Of course he will. Oh, here we go again. Oh, here we go, Brent. You just can't be happy, huh? Those those long distance hole in ones, no one shouting Larry Bird. How mad are you? How about this? Will Omaha be said by any player? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, they got to be. Tiger throws an Omaha in there. Or Phil. No, Phil, because he's playing against Manning. Yeah, so, yeah. like, right before a putt, Omaha. Got to do it. It's a great call. I love the prop bet there. Yeah. I say yes. Yeah. Yes See, is plus well, 200. Well, yes, but like, what else? Like, Pitt Mags don't feel like what those... Is it nationwide commercials? Like nationwide is on your side. I can see like ah, maybe Phil Mickelson throwing that one out there. Tom Brady throwing that one out as well. Good singing. Yeah. Uh, Thank one, you, man. That's what I do. Th- that should be fun this weekend. One last thing, uh, JMG, on our topic about Jimbo Fisher and, and Urban Meyer. Yep. And I mentioned Tom Coughlin. I th- think he brings up a really good point here. Tom was fired both times by the Jaguars. Jimbo and Urban both left their respective programs on their own to go chase something else. That's uh, a good reason for the, the hate and the, I don't know about hate, but yeah. the dislike and not that warm feeling between the two. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a good, uh, that satisfies me to end the <laughs> Thursday. Yeah. Hey, big nice baseball show cleanser. tomorrow. You'll be off. Have a great uh, Memorial Day weekend. We'll, we'll see you back on Tuesday. Have fun, and man. And we're going to talk local baseball. Celebrate it tomorrow on the show. Do something that's never been done. 19 guests are lined up for tomorrow <laughs> in a three-hour show with commercial breaks. It's not possible. Play right now. It's not possible. Yeah, I'm not sure it is either. Most be, might be my most challenging day of the job and <laughs> uh, my profession in 20 years. We're going to try it tomorrow on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Make sure you watch CBS 47 and Fox 30 tonight.